welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, it's true. We're back. We are here, not far from the Mellow Mushroom, but no longer high atop it. Uh, we have a great guest in today's show. Well, we're uh, assuming he's great. He hasn't done anything yet. Oh, listen, I know him by reputation, and Whew, and that so assures many. me this is going to be just a, a dynamite episode. In fact, uh, uh, now usually we start the show with a little bit of mindless chatter between yeah. you and me. Which, Brian McLean, if you're listening right now, I have logged that you said that's the boring part of the show and you wish we'd stop doing it. Uh, Go on. Okay, good. So, uh, in deference to Brian McLean, we're going to skip the banter th- th- uh, today. Screw that. Yep. And we're going to go with, uh, you have found some classic uh, Christian literature. Update it. Tell us the story of what... <laughs> That's your song. <laughs> Nice plug, guys. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Sorry, go on. Classic uh, literature. Yeah, classic literature. Mm -hmm. Uh, Recently retranslated? Yeah, recently. I don't know. I want to give credit real quick, and I didn't. You know what? I didn't even put it up. I didn't know if we would have internet, so I downloaded the whole video. But So I've been talking to a guy named Larry. Shout out to Larry. I've been talking to a guy named Larry. I I wonder if it's the same Larry. Organic Farmer. No, different, Larry. All right. Well, shout out to you, Larry. He was talking about the Hound of Heaven a couple weeks ago when we were talking, uh-huh. and it was such a compelling uh, conversation. I just started reading it, and it's one of those poems that I feel like I need to read out loud. So I just sat in my office reading it every day out loud a uh-huh. number of times. Okay. Old English. I love it. I love Shakespeare. Other people don't. It's mm-hmm. cool. But then I came across this new adaptation or modern translation of the hound of heaven and i watched that and i just sat in my office and cried for a while okay which is not my norm not a big crier but sometimes it's good so i'm gonna put it in this show i will give credit to the person that did it when i look it up later i'll put in the show notes um it may be something we're going to talk about more today maybe not doesn't matter andy slash andrew it's up to you we can go any direction so Uh, Here it is. This is the modern adaptation of The Hound of Heaven. I heard a story once. An incredible story. An amazing story. It told of one who was relentlessly faithful and loves with an unwavering love. It was said that he sorrows over broken people. It was said that he tirelessly pursues each lost one, never stopping, never giving up until, until. But if I let him in, what would I have to give up? What would I have left that I could say was mine? Anyway, it was just a story I heard once. Just a story. of him trouble my dreams. Glimpses in the moonlight, glimmers in the starlight, whispers in the midnight breeze. Gradually the whispers became a sound, perceptible only late at night, when all the world was silent and asleep, except for me and my pounding heart, and the distant sound. 
coming closer. Soon I could hear it by day as well, stronger, constant, unhurrying. And now I could tell what it was, the beat of footsteps. Footsteps down the street, footsteps on the sidewalk, footsteps outside the door. He was coming, the one I had heard about, coming for me. And so I fled. I chose the surest methods and swiftest means. I traveled down endless miles looking for escape. I fled. I sought refuge in forbidden pleasures and tried to drown out the footsteps beneath the clamor of the train. The train catered to my every desire. Images sped past, a kaleidoscope of all I hungered for, tantalizing me with more to want and guaranteeing unceasing ecstasy. But the more each stop promised, the greater the letdown, and the louder my cravings became. And beneath the noise, I could always hear the steady pace, the unhurrying chase, the footsteps coming nearer. Despite the train's assurances, feelings of contentment were faint and fleeting and increasingly rare. The more I fed my desires, the more they consumed me. Each declared it was worth any price, and the cost was everything I had. On and on I fled, on and on his relentless pursuit. I sensed his devotion to me was great, but I feared its power. I was afraid if I opened my heart, he would rush in and I would be allowed nothing, nothing of my own. So I turned from every urge to look his way and hid my face, hoping he would not notice me, just an insignificant passenger on the train. Then, beneath the constant din, I heard a different sound, a soft, seductive voice, soothing as a caress and calling my name. I could not keep from listening. What did I need, friends? Self-confidence, approval, popularity. The voice promised everything, all this and more. If only I would listen, if only I would come to the voice. As the train approached the ultimate stop, I searched the station for any sign of him who had followed so persistently. I stood on the silent platform and listened carefully. Perhaps he was pursuing someone else. Then I ran toward the beautiful voice, lured on with enticing words and the promise it could provide everything I lacked. On I hurried, hoping I was safe. But wait, what was that? Over there, there. I paused only for an instant. He looked deep into my eyes and I into his, and I knew what he wanted. Me. No, I shouted and fled even faster. The nearer I got to the voice, the harder it became to resist. In words that were no longer soft or sweet, I was no longer called, but commanded. Come inside. Find what you need in me. The doors opened, and I entered. Behind me, the doors closed. What was this? There were no strong arms to provide anything. 
It had all been a facade, all just a devious mask. I had run to empty promises of happiness. Through its captivating smile, the manipulating voice had spoken only lies. Inside I was alone, disillusioned and filled with anguish. The voice was just a machine. And once the machine was finished with someone, all that was left were the ruins of what you had been. Confused and overwhelmed, I fell to my knees. All I had tried had been a waste of time, of energy, of hope. Nothing I had fled to had ever provided the comfort I had sought. My strength was gone. All that remained were broken pieces and shattered dreams. Now that I could see the machine for what it was, the voice no longer tempted me. It had no love to give. Its assurances were deceit. Slowly, gradually, a resolve began to grow within me. Slowly, gradually, I began to build a shelter. No longer would I look to the pleasures of the train, nor would I listen to the promises of the voice. I would work to help others, those who were broken and left in torment in this devastated place. This would be my shelter. Through work and kindness, I would find relief. I would forge contentment with my own hands and earn significance by doing good. Though my toil eased some of my emptiness, there was still a void, an aching for more that never left. Then, one night sleeping in my shelter, I awoke to a sound I'd heard long ago, the sound of footsteps bounding across the dry earth, footsteps coming, coming for me. With nowhere to run, I stepped out resolved to face him and he was there leave me be i screamed and desperate to make him go away i picked up a heavy stone and hurled it as the stone pierced his flesh i heard a gasp from heaven but still he did not move In his eyes, I saw only forgiveness and acceptance, as if he had stood there before. I fled back into my shelter, the only place left to escape. I hated him for interfering. I hated myself for the hurt I had caused him. In the darkness of my despair, I lost faith in ever finding happiness. I must stop thinking about him. How he had never stopped seeking me. How he was outside waiting for me. I would not yield to the great pursuer. I must stop thinking about the truth I now knew. He had always watched over me. He was still watching now. I turned at last to the final escape. The final flight to complete oblivion. No more dawns. No more struggles. No more thinking. I would sleep, 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 and wake no more.
But then, but then, in utter desolation, like a gentle breeze that washed over and around me, I felt the tenderness of his presence. I had no fight left, so I finally listened. Which of those you fled to loved you? I heard him say, and my heart answered, None but you, only you. And then he said to me, You will have no rest until you rest in me. Come, take my hand and rise. In the darkness of my gloom, I saw his outstretched hand, and I heard these words. Though you would not see it, I, one you have been seeking all your life. In that moment, after all the endless miles and all the fruitless searching, I finally quit my running and reached out to the one who had sought me for so long. The lost one was finally found. He required nothing nothing beyond acceptance. The peace I had longed for but never known flooded my heart. And in having nothing of my own, nothing but his love, I found everything I had lacked. I was finally complete, finally at rest in him. That was powerful and made doubly powerful by the images that we got to see. I, st I do hope that when you post this show, you'll also post a link to that video in the show notes. Link and credits will be available to all. Okay, yeah. He's telling the universal story, isn't he? Or she, I'd say. Uh, he it was written by a man, but narrated by a woman. Yeah, right? and he just, uh, I'm no biographer on, on Francis, but... His dad was a doctor, mm -hmm. so he went off to school to be a doctor to please dad. Okay. He was a mediocre student, failed at that. Meanwhile, because of his anxiety and some breakdowns, started taking opium, became an opium addict, oh. dropped out of school, uh, lived on the streets doing just manual labor for a lot of years. Wow. By about close to 40, just before 40, he was... Uh, a couple publishers, husband and wife publishers, found his poetry, tried to help him. He got published, started getting some notoriety a little bit. I mean, G.K. Chesterton loved him. Tolkien wow. loved him. Uh, not at that particular time. Um, but Chesterton did, and he still just couldn't get out of his cycle of basically being a loser at that point. Mm -hmm. Ended up living with a prostitute who shared her money from selling her body with him to keep him alive. And then he died with uh, tuberculosis at like age 47. Wow. So, I mean, his story of addiction, struggle with dad, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know the details of the dad piece, mm -hmm. but it's, it's not any different than anyone else's story. And this is what he saw. Hmm. And I just love that it went from, you know, the younger brother which is the testimony we love. Oh, I was I was doing the LPM and all that. And then I, from the pigsty, I saw, I came to my senses and ran yeah, home yeah, and yeah, was yeah. clothed. 
but I, I actually just this week for the first time for years I always said we need to understand this story in Luke 15 is about the older brother Jesus is talking to Pharisees it's about them and I realized I was wrong that we all we all come home as the younger brother I mean for me I didn't you know mm-hmm. I was raised in a family I didn't go off and have my Nikki Cruz story though I faked it um I need to find as the older brother that I'm just as lost because Jesus mm-hmm. said to the same Pharisees hey it's not the people who are are well who need a doctor it's people who are sick wait was he really saying to the Pharisees you guys are awesome so don't worry about it it's only for those assholes that I came no it was an invitation for that older brother who's only in the field never meet him except that he's in the field saying I'm a slave for you dad Mm -hmm. he never comes home yeah for him to realize he's as lost he's a runaway who paid his own way yeah right yeah yeah dad had to pay for the younger brother's shit he paid his own way so he is even more lost yeah yeah so the story's kind of cyclical where we go from being lost to becoming asshole older brothers to discovering we're just as lost and then we finally uh reach out our hand which so i love this i love this story because it goes to the religious part i stopped running and i started helping people oh crap there's the (laughs) next chapter (laughs) oh boy well thank you so much for sharing that aaron and i look forward to hearing feedback uh, Andy, from our listeners, well, yeah. we haven't even brought the guest in. Well, I know. Yet. Well, let's pretend that it's just you. He'll do an impression of you. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, okay, all right. Nateish. <laughs> <laughs> all right, the mystery guest speaks. Yeah, Go ahead. you know what strikes me about that, and, and I'm reminded of when I realized this a few years ago, is that I think I had heard of this poem, mm-hmm. being a guy who likes to act at least like he's more literary than he really is. Um, <laughs> The Hound of Heaven, it's, it sounds like an angry thing. And that sounds like it's the thing that's out to get you and that God is out to get you, which is kind of how I was raised. Not, no one said that, but that was sort of the underpinning of, of the, the faith that I was raised in. And to find out that, that, that it's the hound who's like doesn't lose your scent, who's there to help you as opposed to come and eat you. Yeah. You know, and that, I mean, right there, there's my whole... <laughs> There's my whole journey right there is that he's not out to get you. Yeah. He's here to help you. But he is out to get you. But he's after you. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't want to kill you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh yeah, it's not with anger and foaming at the mouth. Yeah. It's with tenderness and compassion. Man, what what a great it, it the first part breaks my heart. I didn't want to be caught because if he caught me, then what would be left of me? Mm-hmm. And for those of you that grew up with Nathaniel the Grublet, as I did, as well as Aunt Sylvania on cassette tapes, no? No Jeez, idea what he's talking about. All right, about well, it doesn't were... matter. Dean Jones narrated uh, Nathaniel the Grublet. Buy it. It's awesome. Okay. But there's a certain point where Nathaniel is presented with the option, lose yourself or be lost. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, what will happen if I lose myself? And he says, if you knew that, you wouldn't be lost like this is a kid's cassette but uh, come on right yeah. and that's that's what this person was saying here if i'm caught what will be left of me well the only way to find out is to be caught yeah, yeah. and that's 
that's the leap of faith. And the lie of our flesh is, oh, trust me, stay free. Free? I'm a slave to you. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's the lie. Don't yeah. be caught. You'll be a slave to the one that's pursuing you. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about more of these things as well as finally introducing our guest when we come back. <laughs> this is a good time to break, Very shall good, we? Very good, yeah. All right, well, great. On the Pirate Bunk Podcast, ARG, and stuff like that. Marjorie sits by the shore of the lake Unaware as the sun fades to west Holding a letter she's read seven times But could not comprehend what it says podcast and we will now officially and properly introduce to the audience our guest for today Andrew Osenga. Hello. And thank you so much for making the long drive down here. What a treat to be here. Oh man. Now uh, in case you don't know and I gotta tell you I, I, I don't know your whole body of work and uh, I'm sure that my 
son was a big fan of the normals kind of a punk alternative band back in the when was that in the 90s late 90s yeah late 90s okay i was a child Oh, was it man. was it late nineties? I it thought it was, was like ninety ninety six. I'm a 90? I'm a Christian radio one hit wonder in nineteen ninety eight. Our our first single, was it, was DC it, Talk off the charts for one week. Was it? <laughs> we on, played probably eight shows. We were like, guys, we've made it. Our hard work has paid off. <laughs> was it on one of the Wow CDs? We were. Yeah, we were definitely See, on one of those. Probably okay. ninety eight, ninety nine. Because that, that's when yeah. I was a youth pastor, and I had <laughs> yeah, I had, yeah, I had definitely not got listened to Christian music since like. Steve Taylor, Steve Camp era. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, crap, what do I play before youth group? So I got the wow CDs that just had a mix. It was, there, it and was. there you go. It was Spotify before it's time. <laughs> uh, now you were called the normals because I'm from a town called normal. Oh Illinois, man. What? Which is as exciting as it sounds. Yeah. From normal Illinois. And he's in a band called the normals. Uh, That's the worst name of a town I think I've ever heard. And I don't even care if the people from Normal stop listening because of this. Guys, all four people that are there. It's setting the bar low, right? It's it's actually got a good story if you want to know. Yeah, I do. do. Which is that it comes from the Latin, and uh, it really does. It's uh, There's a giant uh, Illinois State University is there, which 100 years ago... Right now, it's like a big party school, but it's also one of the leading schools for teachers in the country. It's a big educational, mm-hmm. like people go there to learn to be a teacher. And historically, schools where teachers were taught were called normal schools. Oh, that's right. And so it was started, it was like the Illinois Women's Normal College. Mm-hmm. And that, okay. in a, out in a farm, in the middle All of right. farmland, and then a town grew around it and it became called normal. Is, is this the school that has the orange... That's or University orange. of Illinois, which That's is different. about 45 minutes away. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So, there you uh, go. <laughs> Illinois <laughs> geography. <laughs> so, the normals, the normals put out three or four albums? Put out three records. Okay. Ended yeah. in 2002. All right. And then your next gig, you step in for uh, Derek Webb. Derek mm-hmm. Webb on Cademan's Call is. Yeah. Yeah. I joined that band right, right after. Uh, so, the normals. And Cademans, we were good friends. We opened for them a ton. And then oh, okay. when Derek left, our band had just ended, and um, he called me and said, all right, I finally quit. He'd been trying to quit for years. Finally yeah, yeah. quit. I told him to call you, and then they did, and then I filled in for seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Amazing. And, Amazing. Um, yeah. And uh, see, and then you, it, you went uh, solo, and you put out a few records, a and you've also records, worked yeah. in the worked around town in the music business, and you started the Square Peg Alliance. Yeah, yeah, um, that was a group of. Uh, so I was, I've always kind of had a foot in both sides of the music business. I've mm-hmm. been a, in a big band that was on a record company, or I've worked for a record company, and I've also been a little indie artist in yeah. my own time. Yeah, um, and so a group of us years ago who felt like we didn't. We didn't fit in Christian music, but we also didn't fit anywhere else because we yeah. were believers, which was like Sandra McCracken, Andrew Peterson, sure, Andy Gullahorn, Jill Phillips, Eric Peters, that Jeremy Casella. Um, we started this thing called the Square Peg Alliance, just mm-hmm. a bunch of square pegs, which honestly was a little self-fulfilling prophecy, but <laughs> <laughs> we just wanted to make ourselves feel better, I guess. But yeah. it, but it it was that kind of gave birth to what what Andrew has started as the Rabbit Room, right? Um, but that that was kind of the first grouping of, hey, we all see the world kind of the same way, mm-hmm. and there's maybe not a 
uh, an infrastructure that sees it the same way we do. Sure. So let's kind of build our own little mini infrastructure together. So, so describe, I mean, there's, there's two pieces of that that I think is relevant to all of this. And as we have no direction for this conversation, I will throw two things out. Okay. <laughs> First is you said we didn't fit into the Christian music deal. Now, you came along right at the end of when it seemed possible for there to be a music deal. Just probably enough time to get a taste and have it taken away. Yeah. I don't know the story, but it's got to be in there somewhere. There's a bunch of stories, yeah. But but I don't think that's what you mean by we didn't mm-hmm. fit in. So what do you mean by that? Um, and we can spend as much or as little time on this as, as you want. But uh, the infrastructure for Christian music tends to be based on, I mean, I, th- I think it started, uh, it started as a sort of Jesus culture reaction to the mainstream and that mm-hmm. these hippies became believers. They didn't want to sing hymns because hymns were boring. They wanted to do music that of their culture. So they, they wrote their own songs to share Jesus to their friends. But as, as that sort of got, um, as a, as a business grew around that, it started to become less and less about, hey, let's go be in the same. We're not doing our own things. We're just with everybody else, but we're singing songs about Jesus that are really on the nose. We're going to build sort of a a separate but equal mm-hmm. music industry, mm-hmm. which is that's when when you were a youth pastor and you saw the charts um, that led to if you like, you know. Green Day, you'll like Third Day, which you won't. <laughs> but that was the thing, right? <laughs> somebody, wait, somebody said that. Oh, there I'll were bet. these charts. You ever see those charts? Did you see these? <laughs> no, I, I didn't see it. People I would, would literally. I would they say would make more. It was I worked Pearl at a Christian Jam to third, third Day. Sure, but, but you know, they were typically written by people who didn't know what you either know what? group sounded yeah. like. Now <laughs> that you're saying, I think I do remember that. I worked wow. at a Christian bookstore when I was in high school because I loved Steve Taylor and yeah. the Prayer Chain and the choir, all these like cool, weird Alter bands, boys. right? All that kind of stuff. Like, and I realized that in a, being in a town in the middle of a cornfield in Illinois before the internet, the only way to get those records, which I loved mm-hmm. was to work at the store where you could order oh, them yes. <laughs> yes. and That's they would pay so me true. to do it. And yeah. so I did and tried yeah. to, uh, anyway, so, uh, I think, um, not to throw people under the bus because there are some beautiful things that happen in any kind of any kind of creative act where people are talking about Jesus, mm-hmm. whether they're doing it really well or really bad, whether they're doing it with the greatest of motives or the worst of motives, the word of God will not return void, right? Like that is so true. And, I, and so I say that I didn't have that framework when I was younger, mm-hmm. but that's the truth. However, within that, you have this sort of alternate system that was started evangelical and then became about, we want to be your safe alternative. And that's where you heard on on the radio, it's safe for the family, mm-hmm. um, which implies that everything else isn't right. Yeah. So it becomes, well, but even worse than that, everything else isn't. And you can tame the lion of Judah. Right. And so, and so it becomes about, we want to keep you safe. This is where you won't be the, the evil world. that's out to get you won't come get you. But of course, <laughs> it's just people, right? So we're all as evil. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it becomes based on fear as opposed to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's even, well, 
uh, it's tricky because you can paint with this wide brush and it doesn't yeah. cover lots of wonderful people doing lots of wonderful things. Um, well, give me give me the positive side then of like what were you guys wanting? Yeah, I think that I think the deal is is that we didn't like the the sonics of what was happening on Christian radio. Mm -hmm. uh, we liked things that were a little more colorful, a little more left of center, a little weirder, and a little wilder. Um, guys like Andrew Peterson, or you know, like he's a poet, you know. Yes. And there's not poetry is rarely top forty. Right. It's yeah. not on mainstream radio either. Uh, and so we we're people who just had this deep, deep love of these of this beauty and this texture. And, and there wasn't a, a, a place that really had an outlet for that, especially right around like the early 2000s when the record business crashed, you know. And mm -hmm. um, and so we just kind of banded together. Went, we each have some people that like what we do. How about. We just try to tell everybody, if you like me, you'll like my friends. And it, and it kind of worked. And, and it was great to kind of build a community. And it allowed us to work together a lot more and create together a lot more. And uh, we still, for the most part, are a really close-knit community. And um, and some of us have, you know, some people have gone on to do really big things or, or not. But all of us have gone on to do really beautiful things. And I think that's because of that sort of iron sharpening iron there. Yeah. Did you learn any lessons that would apply to people that, you know, they're not musicians, artists, but they feel like they're square pegs. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, how do they say they're living in a place like normal Illinois? <laughs> and they're like, I don't relate to anybody I know. Uh, mm -hmm. That's how people talk in normal Illinois. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, what, uh, beyond, and there's great comments to the virtual world. Mm -hmm. Um but I mean, what, what did you learn that they could take to create their own community? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is that I think there's always somebody out there that kind of sees the world a lot like you do, you know, and, and it's okay that you're not, um, it's, yeah, is that going to be an issue? Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll come up with a smart answer for your question, Wally. While Nate unplugs the refrigerator. <laughs> Look at you, man! Man of the hour, man! Electrician Nate. That's right. <laughs> okay, ma'am. I, I think I learned. There's some. I, there's some great things we learned from that, and, and probably some bad things we learned from that too. I think uh, the thing that the things that we learned that I don't think we want to repeat are that us against the world mentality, which I think we had. We were late twenties, probably. Mm -hmm. um, we'd all been burned in some way by some big wig at a label or something we don't we were all a little maybe bitter and cynical um cynicism never looked good on anyone ever and i don't want to repeat that in any way um but what what i think i the good part of that was to find um man just just finding somebody that's willing to walk with you and uh to walk alongside you and and in a work in a work setting, in a play setting, in any, um, in anything, it, it's just so, it's good to be able to look to your left and say, I'm not crazy, right? You see this the same way I do, right? Because mm -hmm. we all find ourselves in situations, we go, how did I get here? What is happening? And when you're by yourself, you have no anchor. But when you can look across the room and make eyes with that one person, be like, this is nuts, right? It's like, <laughs> okay, good. And that, that's a very concrete example when you're right. traveling musicians and you end up in these weird places. Um, 
but it's 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 the same when you end up just kind of in anything you know you go to a family reunion you've got that one uncle you can be like right this is nuts these people are crazy (laughs) (laughs) you know like we all kind of are looking for that wingman you know and um I, i think most more than anything like that's what's most valuable there how do we do that without i'm thinking of a particular denomination slash church group that mostly is connected by the stuff they're against. Mm. Um, I know this from the letters I was sent from that group. Um, So I'm clear on what they're against. Mm -hmm. And it was inspiring. There's a lot of fear. Um, One of my friends who's a pastor said, well, it's like the movie The Village. We tell people that everybody outside (laughs) our group is going to wreck your faith, so don't ever go into the woods. Mm Mm-hmm. We can get like that even with Samson guys. Like, mm-hmm. I go to Samson because the church is full of guys who aren't authentic. And so it's now we're against yeah. the church. So how do you come to a core conviction where it's about what I'm for? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, so you're against everybody who's not for that? I, I don't know. I don't have time to be against all of you. I'm just for this. <laughs> so how do you cultivate <laughs> that, what you just said, which is the powerful side, without it being drained by a culture that loves to be against. Yeah, man, that is a really great, that's a really great question. I'd, I'd, I'd love both of your insight on that because I, I know you have a lot of it. Um, <laughs> but you asked me. Yeah, you're both looking at me. So, um, And well, you, know, you can I, kick it over to Nate. Now yeah, I will kick it over to Nate. Watch, watch how subtly I'm about to do that. <laughs> right. um, to me, I think, uh, I think gratitude yeah. is the, mm-hmm. is the, is the most surefire way of not falling prey to that. Um, when I say I don't, I was a cynic for a long time and I don't want to be anymore. I feel like cynicism is as deep in my heart as, as any addiction is for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I call myself a recovering cynic. It's always there. Mm-hmm. And it, it's my decision whether or not to feed it. Yeah. And, um, and the best way to starve it is to choose something healthy and to eat instead, which is gratitude. And, yeah. And um, there's always something to be grateful for. And in any system of people, the system may be incredibly broken. There are always people that are looking around wanting somebody else to make, to catch eyes with and go, this is crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There are always people working in any system trying to do good. You know, freaking Bonhoeffer was a, wore the Nazi armband, right? To try to do good. like if the Nazis have people like Bonhoeffer who from the, from a thousand feet away, looks like, Oh, another Nazi, you can know the exact opposite, right? Like, so do the Baptists. So do the whoever else. So do it like whatever group is so evil and awful. Like there's, there's somebody in there trying to do something good. And so um, I think you find each other by being grateful and by proclaiming your gratitude and sharing it with other people. I'm so glad to be here. I'm glad to be with you guys right now. That's not a way most of us talk. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to just sit and complain. Uh, it's it's a great way to connect with people, you know. But yes, there it is—the thing to be against. How, <laughs> yeah. how do you define so cynicism? To me, is to be critical, which isn't bad. Being no. a critical thinker is good, but to be critical without any hope. Hmm. Now I'm a cynic. What's a, what's that mean to you? to be a cynic. Yeah, I think it's uh without any hope is good. I think without 
uh, any willingness to take action to fix it. No, just to sit and to just yeah, it's just so easy to complain. But it's 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 yeah, harder to go. I want to do something about yeah, this. Yeah, I also think that cynicism. I loved your line that cynicism never looked good on anybody. Mm. I do think that's that cynicism really survives on black and white thinking as well. Yeah. Right. So. Uh, there's black, there's white, there's good, there's bad, there's nothing in between. And when I'm a cynic and everybody else is black, that makes me white, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm so stuck right now. Is this becoming a race thing? Because nah, we're against racism. We are, and and we are not equating Nazis with Baptists. So let's or just, Bonhoeffer, oh, yeah, by the I, way. I definitely <laughs> accidentally threw that out there. <laughs> Can you just we're gonna take a moment. add a couple other <laughs> denominations? We're to gonna that? we're gonna take a pause to retract everything thus far <laughs> that needs to be fixed. Oh, I need that in my life. Um, <laughs> All right, black and white thinking. I love I love that insight in the twelve steps and twelve traditions of AA in chapter seven, where where Bill W. actually says that humility is what underlies all the mm-hmm. steps, and uh, and cultivating humility is is uh for me uh probably my best protection against cynicism Hmm. yeah i think just believing that there is an option that you are allowed like that's the practical Mm -hmm. step away philosophically knowing that you are allowed to be passionate about something without it having to be a judgment about that which it seems to contradict that that's not a necessary part. If you're passionate about this, right, and you go into your church and you're like, I want to have this kind of authentic community, and they're like, well, we already do this thing. Well, that doesn't mean you're against that thing. It just means you mm-hmm. still want to do that thing. Like, you can have a path in your life that is God-ordained and God-authorized that other people, it, it's not what God put on their heart, or maybe they're blind and stupid, hard to tell and it's not your job to tell yeah so and often i think if you feel like something is on your heart like we need to be doing this and you look around and nobody else agrees with me it's like well you might be wrong Mm -hmm. option one option one you (laughs) might be wrong option two maybe that's because god's put it on your heart because you're the person that's supposed to do it you know the reason that you really think why aren't we doing this yeah well why, why aren't you yeah and option three is that's not the place that you should do it yeah that uh, this is short-term missionary uh, disease, right? <laughs> People go to a country for like two weeks and come back and are so pissed off at the rest of the church because you don't care about the people <laughs> of whatever. And and yeah. nobody cares about Jesus because they need you to be his passionate. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time. But it's, it's not what they've tasted yet. Hmm. Well... Um, this has been a fascinating conversation. I would like to move it. Can we do that? I want to, because I have questions to ask Andrew about his, uh, I believe his latest album, The Painted Desert. Yeah, is yeah. that the newest that one? That is, yeah. What a, uh, what a collection of haunting songs. Mm. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like if, if we can arrange to do it, I'd like to play a couple of songs and then. Uh, you had one song that you were struck by. You wanted a backstory. Well, yeah, at least a couple. Melissa, Melania. Marjorie. Marjorie. Dude, I've got to know the story behind Marjorie because I can see see practically every Samson wife Hmm. relating to that song in some way. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to play Marjorie, 
Okay. And then we're going to ask Andrew. It's probably going to. I mean, I have a whole elaborate backstory manufactured oh, in my head of what it's all I'm about. Let you down. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to be. It's going to be. I'm feeling different. you. That was just. Okay. You should just not tell him at this point. It'd be funny. So we'll <laughs> take a break. We'll play the song. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Tell what you think. And uh, and then we'll let Nate down when we come back okay. here on the Pirate Bunk Podcast. <laughs> All right. Thanks. All right. We are back. That was the song Millennials. Marjorie. Right. <laughs> oh, man. I, I was just heartbroken for this woman. Hmm. who now is discovering what everybody else already knows. Uh, her life is wrecked. Uh, she doesn't quite know how to deal with what has happened. Doesn't even know whether anything good is going to come from it. And um, just the empathetic telling of her story so moved me. It really did. Hmm. Uh, now go ahead and ruin the, ruin the, ruin Man, the, ruin thank the song you. for no, me. Thank you, Nate. That, that really means a lot. Um, so there, I wrote that song uh well I, I had a year about three years ago i lost a job mm. that i thought was like the job i was meant for and was going to retire from it was a it was a big cool looking job yeah and people would say your name you you, you have that office that's a cool thing and yeah i liked that and then one day they were like you don't work here anymore <laughs> i was like i don't like that <laughs> and um <laughs> And I'm a, I'm a Midwestern kid, as we have learned. I like I'm always doing nine things at once. Mm-hmm. And um. And when that thing happened, man, I I did not land on my feet. And that's kind of the only time that's ever happened. I mean, I just was in free fall. Right. Work career wise. Yeah. Which led to free fall in about seven other areas of my life. Sure. Right. Or maybe I should say exposed free fall in yeah, seven other okay. areas of my, of my life. Um, and it ended up being one of the most fruitful seasons of my life. Yeah. Um, that's the idea of the, the, even the title of the record, the painted desert. Yeah. Is this, this place that you can't live things die and it's awful. It's also really beautiful. Mm. Um, which is, you know, in Arizona, I mean, it's a gorgeous place near, near the Grand Canyon. Um, and so that idea of, that's just kind of the question I kept asking. It's like, what do you, what do I do now? What do I do now? Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. Um, I had three kids and a mortgage and no college degree and yeah, uh, you know, what, uh, and so I kept trying to write my own story of it, and it was just so uh, whiny. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just kind of sat down with a guitar and kind of freeformed. Marjorie sits by the shore of the lake. And just kind of sing that melody. Well, I really like that. Wow. And um, just had the name Marjorie, which I just, it's a fun name, you know? And then I kind of painted that scene really quickly without thinking about it of sitting on the, sitting like on a, on a, like a uh, grass overlooking like a little water, yeah. holding a letter. And I went and I started writing about what the letter could have been. What, what bad news did she just get? And then I thought, you know what? I'm not going to say, I'm not, I'm just going to, we're going to leave it open because the yeah. question isn't what bad thing happened. The question is, what are you going to do now? Yeah. Yeah. And, and from there, I just tried to, tried to pull the camera back so that if a listener, if somebody got into that song and went, Oh, I know that feeling that the rest of the song was just 
what that feeling how that feeling plays out so you literally wrote the song for exactly nate's experience i mean kind of yeah and that's that's really it man you are an artist you are a poet it was beautiful man thank you and uh, that song is haunting the whole record is amazing uh i love uh i love every cut i especially love um the last song give oh yeah about surrender man which is that's where Recovery starts Hmm. when we come to the end of ourselves and finally give up. And so let's go ahead and play Give Up, and then we'll talk some about that. Yeah. good friends I hope I don't wear out if all I bring is more bad news I know they'll tell me I am more than that don't know how I get so confused guess I've just always liked the blues
Just the things I need to give up Oh Okay, so so there it is. That's the door into recovery. It's at this very painful, desperate place. Um, what does surrender look like for you? And what's mm. what's kind of behind that song? Yeah, man. Um, thank you. I, I I deeply love this song. Uh, no one has, I think, ever asked me about this. Song. Really? Uh, not that I talk that much. And pe- that many people ask me about any of my songs, but. Um, yeah, but that it is. It's about kind of getting just getting to the end and saying, "I I have tried everything and it is not working." Mm-hmm. And the only thing left to do, like we talked about, the hound of heaven, is to just go. All right, fine. What do you want to do? Um, the line in that in that song that uh, was the hardest to write, and is uh, I've played this song live a couple times, and I've never been able to make it through that second verse, which is. I've got good friends. I hope I don't. Oh, I hope I don't. I hope I don't let. I hope I don't wear out. If all I bring is more bad news, I know they'll tell me I am more than that. Guess I just like the blues, Mm -hmm. Um, which is just how I feel, and um, and particularly in my own life story, there are some things that have been. uh, There are just some hurts that have been there for a long time, and. um, you know, there are hurts in the past, but there are hurts in the present that are active and, yeah. and you can't fix them all. And you can wear out this accountability group and wear out this men's group and wear out this friend and be like, all right, I just got the same thing to talk about here. <laughs> and if you're really in this with me, you're going to hear it again. Yeah. And, um, and I'm sure I have worn out some people who have bailed and I have, uh, also a handful of people, uh, who have not and have been willing to have the same conversation with me for 12 years. Yeah. Um, and so that, that line is just, so this is, this is a hugely practical thing to talk about, not to move from the Mm -hmm. art to the practical, please. Uh, one, this is why we've said, it's always great to have a Samson group that has at least like 12 people. So you can break into two or three groups Mm. because you feel safer. Okay. I'm not going to be saying the, if I have to say this four weeks in a row, six weeks in a row, I'm not going to say it to the same people every week. <laughs> and if there's only three or four people, you really do feel afraid you're going to wear them out. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also the reality. Ugh, how do I say this without being a total dick? Sometimes we become so dependent on those things that we're terrified to live without them. Sure. And they've, they've reached the end of their usefulness how do we encourage one another to not move on as if we're sick of hearing about it but that there's it's time to grab for some other lifesaver yeah well you know those are there i think you've got they've got two different situations there too you've got the person that's got the thing that they don't want to let go the kind of crutch right that worked for a while now it doesn't work we need to let it go but then you also have the people in chronic pain, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's physical chronic pain, chronic relationships, like a relationship that you can't leave, that right? Won't heal, or um, 
you know, there, there are people that are not going to grow out of the hurt that they're in. And that's, yes, that's, that's where you get in that spot of, you need to be able to keep processing it. Yep. And it's not going to change. So how you do know? you, how do you know the difference? So maybe, yeah, that's, the, maybe, that's the key. How do you know the difference? Well, especially if you're not like, uh, you know, some doctorate in psychiatry or something, and you're hearing a person say the same thing. And from your vantage point, you're like, I would have got over this by now. And it could be totally legitimate that mm-hmm. they're not over it. So how do we walk graciously in that? Nate? <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have more than one person in the room. You can say Throw the, the impossible, Jedi master yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, say yeah, the impossible yeah, question yeah, yeah. then just say, Nate? Here's what I know. My own resources of love and empathy are very limited. Hmm. And those of the Christ who lives in me are boundless. Hmm. If I can remain spiritually connected and tend to my own spiritual health, then I can draw on a compassion and a patience that is not mine. But if I try to be um, Joe Christian friend or Joe Silas, and I'm doing it without spiritual connection, I'm going to run out of fuel real fast. And I'm going to try and fix people out of impatience. I'm going to shut them down. Uh, And that healthy healing interchange that is meant to happen between us is going to cease. Well, uh, there's there's a very hopeful song on this record, The Year of the Locust. Talk about (laughs) it's a wonder. I love that song. The title doesn't sound hopeful, but it is a very hopeful song. It's a very hopeful song. I listened to that looking for something more morbid than I received. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But but isn't it our experience in recovery that he does restore what the locust has eaten, right? As As the scripture says. Wait, I, I've got what the last song will be. By the way, I had already downloaded the playlist, so yeah. I'm really disappointed. The Altar Boys will get no play this week. Pa- <laughs> Paolo Conte is now out, but that's okay. <laughs> but here's what I want this last song to be. Okay. Three kids. How old are they? Uh, 14, 12, and 7. 14, 12, and 7. Three daughters. Oh, oh wow. sorry. Yeah. I just felt like a... I felt a pain in the back of my jaw, and I don't know why. It, like, twitched just then. Those are the braces I just paid for. (laughs) 12-year-old, which is the song that you've written in your life that someday you hope she loves and understands? Oh, man. Uh, You know, I I mean, you you couldn't have set me up better, by the way. I just want to let you know. the first song on this record is my favorite song I've ever written. It's, um, yes. I was just going to ask you about the song. You're amazing. (laughs) Yeah. You're making me feel so great today. (laughs) Um, so I had this realization, uh, years, a couple years ago that when I was, when I first started writing songs, Mm um, I just, it was just to try to get girls, you know, that, that, and that worked for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I started doing it for a living, I put so much of my identity in it. And when I listened to a lot of the work that I did in my, my 20s in particular, maybe the thing I hear the most is just how desperately I wanted you to think that I was smart or I was really good at guitar or I was really this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it, it, then when I was 35, I quit music and I moved into a 
the business side of music and I stopped being an quote unquote artist, um, which is when I wrote my best songs because no longer was I trying to prove anything to anybody because mm-hmm. I'd quit, which is great. And um, Jeez, I, why do I want to say, so we should all just quit being Christians right now? Good. We're so going to find the best version of it. <laughs> anyway, go on, please. There's, yeah. There, there, yeah, there can be wisdom in that, depending. Um, but uh, I had this realization that my kids, whether or not anyone else ever listens to my music, my kids will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because one day they'll want to know, who was this guy? Why did he do the things he did? Um, who am I, you know, Yeah. in light of that? And um, from that point on, I, I, it's, it's been a very, very uh, thick awareness that anything that I anything that I write is a letter to my daughters. And um, a lot of times it's not directly to them, but I know they'll read it. And then I wrote one on this record that is specifically to them. Uh, it's called Beautiful Places. And it is, um, there's this camp. Up, we're a big Young Life family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met the Lord really in, uh, through the ministry of Young Life. And they've got these camps all over the world. There's this camp up in British Columbia. You have mm-hmm. to take a, a boat or a float plane to get there. There's no roads. It's gorgeous. And... Um, we spent a lot of time up there and uh, I've never been able to bring my daughters and it's just so beautiful. It's my favorite place. And I always tell them like, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you there. And one time just like a weird dad thing, you know, we have these moments and I was just like, if I die before I get you there, you need to scatter my ashes up there. So you have to go. And they're like, dad, you're so weird. Yeah. Beautiful, (laughs) but creepy. Yeah. And then I end up writing a song about it. Um, But that idea of, the idea of the song is um, it's a treasure map for my daughter. So in, in the song uh, are directions to that place. Um, and it's, and it says, take my ashes and scatter them up there. So you have to go see the world and let the last gift that I give to you be uh, just to experience beauty together. Um, yeah. I'm going to cry just thinking about yeah, it. I just, uh, that's yeah. So there wow. You go. Yeah, that song tore me up, man. Tore me up. I probably listened to it 10 times today. <laughs> Scatter my ashes in beautiful places. All right, that's how we're going to close the show. Well, we can't close it yet. we got to come back for one last segment. Okay. That way Paolo or the Altar Boys can have at least the closing song. All know. right. So because, stay, but, but we have one thing we have to talk about. So, yeah, go okay, ahead. Okay, so stay with us. We're going to play a song. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Flat as the air. 
Podcast, and we and we want to send out a big thank you yes. to one of our faithful listeners, Dan Schwartz, has sent us beautiful handmade pens turned from uh, yeah turned from one seed juniper in Colorado. I don't even know what that means. I, I don't either. But it's but awesome. It sounds well, but it's a it's a gorgeous pen. And then the metalwork on it is freaking phenomenal. It's a pirate version of the pen. Uh, the clip is is uh, a pirate sword, a cutlass, uh, and then it's got it's got skull and crossbones around the middle of it. This thing, it's got great action. It turns out weighs heavy. It feels <laughs> like, like it's like a man's pen. You, you've, yeah, you're you're going uh-huh. you're going a little farther than is necessary. It's just rad, and there is a. A cutlass on it, which of course the cutlass was the earliest pirates who were all uh, cow farmers on islands that were dispossessed, and so their cutlasses were cleavers. And this is what we got—a manly cleaver uh, that became their sword. And it's got these bands. It's it's just awesome and an unexpected gift, just out of nowhere. That is so cool. Thank you so much, Dan. Delights the heart. It does. Thanks, Dan. And anyone else who would like to send us an unexpected <laughs> gift, uh, <laughs> now that we've received our first one, uh, <laughs> I'm an addict already. No, it's awesome. Uh, anything else we need to know? or No, no. Just a reminder of everybody that we've got uh, the registration is open for the big fall retreat in the middle of Eva, Tennessee. Already? It is open. We think a single man is going to register for something in November. Oh, by the way, I do have a big announcement to make. That's why I mentioned it. All right. Uh, Oh, it's not about the road trips because I don't have the... I have another big announcement. Here's the big announcement. If you live outside the contiguous United States... So, you, so uh, Chris Hernandez in Alaska, you Can are, you define contiguous for all the <laughs> listeners, please? The, the 48 states the lower within... Lower 48. Yeah, the lower 48. Okay. If you live within the, uh, outside the lower 48, so Canadians actually are, are eligible for this special uh, offer. Okay. You can come to the retreat for free. Hello. Free. Come on. Get your ass to the Nashville airport, and we will take it from there. We will take your ass from there. Okay. Uh, so look on the uh, look on the website. There will be a special international uh, registration, and you can come for nothing. We want to kind of level the field because we want to. Yeah. I, I want to take into the fact that some guys really have to spend a lot of money to come. Yeah, that's and not fair. And to make fair. it a little easier, we'll uh, those of us. 
red-blooded Americans who live in the lower 48 will cover those, your cost. We've those Merkins will cover you. Fur, yeah. Double entendre. <laughs> Food and lodging will be covered for you. Okay. That's it? That's it. Accept uh, questions, comments? Please address them to this to us at uh, piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, we've... Yeah, it's about that time. It's hard to say. I'm trying to calculate in the musical time as I look at the clock, but I think we're about at that time. I do. I think so. So. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And I'm Andrew. And we're your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Pirate. Oh,